As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the show. Now, a bit different today's show because uh, alongside myself and Tom here on the Ask NT Wright Anything podcast, we're also being joined by Jay, Jay Miro, who is uh, someone who's got an amazing story. Uh, Jay found, has found his niche as an adult, as an event organizer, a radio host out in Atlanta, Georgia. He's passionate about youth and the music, uh, but he's got an interesting background. He was raised in one of the largest and poorest slums in the African continent in Kenya and had a very difficult childhood. He's going to tell us about that and about what made the difference today. This is one of those episodes, Tom, where you and I will be listening and learning and hopefully contributing as we yes, go. Indeed. So, uh, So looking forward to to do that yeah so um so jay welcome along to the show um tell us uh tell us about yourself tell us what life was like growing up for you and and where you grew up exactly well first of all thank you so much for meeting you both uh i'm I'm excited for the conversation and thank you for the opportunity to be able to share my story and also share about uh, africa Uh, i'm always excited about those two things and so thank you so much so i was born and raised just like you read in kenya uh, in a place called matare now, Mazari is one of the biggest slums that we have in, in the world. Uh, I was born in a community where mostly the kids are, that are born, the boys end up being thieves and the girls being prostitutes. Now, it's a, it's a community that uh, we grew up without having any role models. And so when you grow up, it's kind of you have to find your path to life. Or your parents or your brothers or somebody that should be showing you the path, they are also trying to find their own path. So you find most of the kids in my community, they didn't even know who are they going to be? What path are they going to follow? What is life? And so you try and find life uh, for yourself. And as you can imagine, as a child, that's very hard. And so most of the time, the kids would, the parents would try and take us to school. But it's not always easy because especially at the time, you had to pay tuition fee. uh, You needed a school uniform and all that. So most of the time, you find the parents because they're even struggling to put food on the table. They're struggling to get the basic needs. So you find education as much as it's important and they know how important it is, they're not able to cover that part. And so what happens is that even though you're trying to go to school, at some point you're not able to go consistently. And so you find yourself at home. You're just sitting right there, you don't have anything to do. And so what would happen is that, uh, of course, an idle mind is that there was a workshop. It doesn't matter how old that mind is. And so, especially that mind is, is, is in a body that is hungry. A body that is hungry would always think of, how do I get fed? How do I get fed? 
And for us, the options were you start stealing, you start begging, or you start doing other things. For me, because I didn't want to become a thief, in Kenya, when you're stealing, they can shoot you, they can stone you, they can put a tie around, to, around your neck and burn you to death. So we know stealing is not an option at the beginning. I said at the beginning because you start to look for other alternative and then you find yourself falling back to that. So what for me I did because just coming home from outside playing soccer and, you know, just being a kid, a kid being a kid, doing the kiddie stuff and you're running and you're doing all these things. But then coming home to not find anything to eat was one of the hardest things. Stepping into a room that was cold was an indication that nothing had been cooked. And so as a child, I started noticing that we can't get this, we can't get this. So what do we do? What do we do? So I, like I said, I didn't want to become a thief. So I hit the street of Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya, and I started begging for food and money. So I became what we call, in Kenya, we call street boys, uh, a beggar, basically. But then I would beg and bring something home. But just as you know, begging is not a job. So no, no, you're not guaranteed to get anything. You can go the whole day. Nobody, you might not find anything. Uh, and, and I was at the age of eight. But my begging, whenever I would beg and I would get something, I would bring it back home. That means people back home were waiting for me to come from the street with something to eat or some money, and then they can eat. An eight-year-old boy. So if I didn't find anything then what happens is that they would go to bed hungry because this 80-year-old kid did not find anything to eat. And so when that happened over and over, I started noticing, hey man, these guys are kind of disappointed. They're not saying it. They're not disappointed at me. They're disappointed that there's nothing. Yet I had gone to the streets. And so that's when I started being creative. And I joined a group of young people that were actually stealing. And they introduced me to it as though it was an easy thing. Hey, we're just going to go and get something and run away. I mean, after all, we're Kenyans, we can run. And so we we started to go and uh, when you see something valuable, some, somebody with something valuable would snatch it and run with it and basically just run, run like, like a Kenyan until you find your way out of that vicinity. And then if it's something that you can go sell, you go sell. If it's money, definitely take home. Now, interesting, my family didn't know how I was getting the money. At some point, I started being consistent with bringing money but they didn't know where the money was coming from. And if my mom or my grandmother knew that we, I was stealing, they would not have taken the money. Even though they were sleeping hungry, they would say, I don't want your money. Wow. So yeah. I didn't want them to know that because I knew they would have said no. I, I feel like, Jay, I mean, obviously you knew what you were doing was wrong, but at the same time, I find it very hard to judge you from falling into that because of your circumstances and right. um I, I don't know tom tom i'd I, just be interested in your input at this point because i mean jay's story alone just tells us what an unfair world we live in you know that to, to that degree jay was forced into this kind of lifestyle because of the circumstances most people and young children we know in our circles in the west would never have to necessarily make those difficult decisions and how just just before we return to Jay's story, because that's obviously not the end of the story, um, how do you deal with that just on a theological level when people say, "Why what, is it fair, really, that that this kind of thing exists in the world?" No, I mean that it's it, it is it is hugely difficult, and of course it isn't fair. Um, uh, I think we are cushioned against um, being aware of that kind of situation in the West 
the I've only been to Nairobi twice in my life and the first time which was many years ago like 40 years ago or so um, I remember being taken to the place I was staying which was right in the middle of Nairobi it was for a conference so we were in a nice hotel and then somebody said to me um, just once go and walk I think it was like three streets from this nice downtown area which was very glitzy shops etc and then just come back again um, and you walk and before too long I don't know if it's still like this Jay now but before too long it was shantytown uh, it was it was um and and people um very much begging on the streets and so on there were of course beggars in the in the more glitzy bits as well um and and that was my awareness that um actually all was not well that uh, society was was deeply broken in a way and then i when i came back to the uk i started to notice similar things there are some cities in the uk where you have the nice bit and then the very very poor bit where it's food banks and and uh, yeah, crime and so on and when i was bishop of durham uh, of course, the northeast of England is one of the most poverty-stricken parts of the country, where there'd be families where there'd be five children, but only one could go to school at any one time because there was only one pair of shoes and so on. So I've had a little bit of the first world version of what Jay is saying. But in so many ways, people like me have been cushioned against it. And it's very good to be reminded that this is how a great deal of the world still is. I mean, just before we come back to Jay's story, for those who inevitably say, why why do, does such a world like this exist? Why, why has God? I mean, I guess it is ultimately part of the brokenness, part of the brokenness that we are called to be part of the solution to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and the Bible is full of promises of God putting things right, and especially God doing justice for the orphan and the widow and so on. And uh, uh, that hope of, of um, God stepping in and doing something we're never told this is how it got there except the, the the story right at the beginning of genesis which um really raises as many questions as it solves it just says this is where we are guys um but then there's always that promise god is going to put it right mm. jay let's let's continue your story to pick us up pick up from where you were you'd, you'd fallen in with a kind of gang basically stealing just to make ends meet, you yeah. will bring the money home for your parents and grandparents. What what happened next? Yeah, and before that, Tom, just to let you know, that hasn't changed. Whatever you saw that hasn't changed. It actually uh, gotten even worse. Uh, and the difference is, uh, I live in America right now. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and there's still poverty where I, I have seen poverty here. Of there's still poverty. The biggest difference is the choices the poor people here have versus the, the choices that poor people in Africa have. We ha barely didn't have any, any choice. And to be honest with you, and this is some of what we'll talk later on, uh, is it's, it's not like people are extremely, well, there are people who are very extremely poor, but there's also a group of people that are extremely wealthy. The biggest problem is the wealthy people want to keep it to themselves and the poor people just keep it to, to themselves. And, and so that's part of it. And, even some of the young people sometimes who steal, they're kind of mad. I'm like, how comes I don't even have anything to eat? Somebody can afford to drive this big car. They have this big house. They have all these things. And, and I, I know these things belong to them and they can do whatever they want to do. But I'm like, these people, they just want to get more and more. There's no opportunity to even something to get down there. And that's what's happening even during this time when there's election. That's when we see the, the who is who's coming out and all that. And this is when they think the poor people matters a lot because, man, we need your vote. But anyway, falling in that, in that, in that group category of, of group, uh, 
led me to start stealing and, and snatching things. Remember, as I told you, the danger of stealing in Kenya, it doesn't matter how old you are, most likely it would end up in death. My older brother, I'm a second born of four, my older brother had already started being a thief and he had his own gang. And part of his gang, some of them were being shot and killed one by one. He was one day stoned. He was stoned in the streets of Nairobi. He was almost killed. The only thing that helped him was that cops passed by just before they brought a tire because that's the last thing. When they beat you and you're down, they put a tire. That's the only way he's alive right now. Otherwise, they were going to kill him and burn him. And so even with all those dangers, I was like, what else do I do? I'm going to die anyway. And so mm. one day for me, even before I went too far, at this, this time I was about nine years old. So I went to steal and what happened is that I snatched something and then I was arrested. Being arrested was actually much better than the worst could have. The other things was the worst because the cops arrested me instead of the mob justice because the mob justice is very angry with what has been happening. And so I was arrested by the cop. But this particular time that I was arrested, actually, this would be interesting to you guys. It wasn't like a normal arrest. What happens is that at that particular time, there was a particular, I can't remember, but there's a, a, a world leader that was visiting Kenya. So, and let's say there's a leader from, from, the, from the Euro, from Europe or from the US, those world leaders that you want to show them, hey, Kenya, we're doing well, they usually go to the streets and, and sweep. So they have lots of cops. So at that particular time, there are so many cops on the streets and that's how I even got arrested. And so they try and clear right. the street and take us to, the, to, to, the, to prison. And so I was arrested and, uh, at the age of nine. And honestly, to me, that was like the reality of life because I went to prison at this age of nine and, you know, starting to ask myself so many questions. I mean, I'm in prison. Why is this happening to me? Why was I born in the family that I was born into? You can imagine the kind of thoughts that were going through my mind. Like, why did I even steal in that first place? But then why are we hungry and all that? And basically, I had so many questions that I would ask myself and... I even started questioning God, if God exists. You know, Kenya, and we'll talk about this more, we, we know so much about God in Kenya. And so you start having that conversation with, with yourself to God, and you're like, man, do you really exist? And without saying too much, that was probably my, my darkest moment in life, just being in prison. It was like my lowest of the lowest moment where I thought this was life because other children that I met there, that was life, and they've been doing that over and over again. And I thought to myself, this is it for me. Probably this is going to be what is going to be happening. Mm. But then while I was there, because one thing about Kenya is that uh, we hear preachers preaching all the time and you hear preaching on the streets of Nairobi. And that's a good thing. Whenever, whether you go to church or not in Kenya, you're going to hear the word of God. <laughs> and I'm sure it's, it's, it's true in some of the Eastern African countries. There are pre preachers in the streets, there are preachers in the public transportation. And so I... I don't, well, my mom used to take me to a Catholic church. My grandmother used to take me to a Catholic church, but I never stepped into a church where they are actually like preaching to you, like in a, you know, in a Pentecostal way. But I had heard so much about God. And so what I did for me was right there in prison, I knelt down and I challenged God. I asked God for two things. One, to take me out of prison, but second, to take me out of poverty. I knew getting out of prison was very important, but it, if I'm still poor, chances of me coming back are high. And so I was praying to God to get me out of prison and out of poverty. And honestly, I was praying out of 
any knowledge. I didn't have any any knowledge. It's just like these are the two things that I need. So if there's a God somewhere, this is what I would, I would want Him to do for me. And even though it wasn't immediately, it wasn't. Uh, it was a lot of things that went back and forth. But finally, I was set free, and I was the most happiest person. And being from prison and then you're free. That's like you feel very very different. Like. I saw life in a new in a new life and I was in a new light and I was excited I was happy that you know what I think I get a chance to start all over again but then just when your excitement is not even fully you get back to your community you get back to your home which is still poor which is still nothing and then in your mind you're like okay I was excited but okay where else where am I going to go what what am I going to do what are, what are my options yeah what are my yeah. options and and at that point I was like there's no way I I didn't want to go to the streets, but then I wanted to go back to school. And so I was in between there. And so going back to school was not easy because, like I said, you have to pay your tuition fee and we didn't have that. So at this point, uh, I had started living with my grandmother. My mom had actually attempted suicide at some point because of poverty, because of everything that was going on. She thought it was good for her to, to, to take her life. And so she tried, she attempted uh, uh, suicide, but thank God she didn't die. But then she was not stable to stay with us. At some at that point, we were like, okay, uh, they had decided let's go and stay with my grandmother. Which, for your information, it always happens when children have children and something goes wrong. They're all dumped at grandmother's or grandfather's <laughs> house. And so speaking I, as a I grandfather, was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we were dumped. Like my cousins and all of us were all in my grandmother's house. Like. 10 to 15 children in one single room, like a very tiny room. It's actually, we call it self-confused room because there's, it's, there's a lot of confusion in, in that room. But then your, my grandmother was picking all of us and dumping us to school. And we're like, we don't have any tuition fee. She's like, let's go. So she would, she was like, I don't care. Just go to school. And so she would go and dump us to school and we would, uh, would go there. But sometimes they would say, hey, go home. Sometimes they would be like, okay, you can, you can stick around. But then one day what happens is that, uh, that's when compassion came around. So one of those days that grandmother, grandmother was dumping us to school, compassion came around. And when compassion came around, they were looking for students who want to be in school, but they are not able to afford. So all the teachers knows who is poor. Of course, almost everybody is poor. All the teacher knows who is extremely poor because, you know, uh, you have to put on your school uniform. They can tell from your school uniform if it's torn, if it's dirty. Uh, we had to go home for lunch. When you go home for lunch and come home and you kind of don't, you can tell somebody who has not had lunch. And so they, I was among the, the children that were selected and I joined the program and Long story short, that's how my life started taking a turn and started moving in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you and I just listen sort of in slightly stunned disbelief. And the reality, this is the reality for so many young people around the world today, Jay. But we are, Tom, I'm sad to say, somewhat insulated most of the time from, from these realities uh, in the West. And, that, that's, and it's so good to in a sense have that wake-up call from someone like you jay to say this is life for many people you know this is just the day-to-day -day reality um that exists um uh i mean tom it, it kind of i i i i went to africa uh as a young person you know gap year i, I took gap year in, and went to uganda i was telling jay just before we started recording about it actually 
And I often think actually doing something like that would just help a lot of people to step outside of the kind of Western comfort zone um, and and just to, to kind of get a sense of actually, no, you're, the way you live your life is not the way so many other people are actually living their life. And And exactly what Jay said, you know, that divide between rich and poor, um, which, yes, does exist, of course, in various parts of the, you know, the West, too, but is so much more stark in a way um, when when you're looking at somewhere like the slums of Nairobi. Um, any thoughts just on Jay's story up to that point? And, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, shared? thank God for that rescue. I mean, but also, <laughs> I would say this, wouldn't I? Thank God for grandparents. <laughs> thank God for <laughs> yeah. a grandmother thank who was God. prepared to say, OK, you're here and I'm just going to take you to school and that's it. And there's a kind of a moral force to uh, a matriarch, as it were, just saying, these are kids, they need school, here they are. And and hmm. there's a sort of um, knock and it will be opened unto you <laughs> about that, right, refusing right. To, to, to take no for answer ultimately but i mean what what i see from where i sit is as i said i've worked in the northeast of england where there is quite serious poverty in, in some in some uh, housing estates where you know the police don't even go and uh, often th there's one church worker living on that estate and he or she knows what's going on and is doing what they can and the local council rely on the church sometimes to to, to say what's what's happening and to start you know youth employment possibilities and that sort of thing so we do have our own micro versions of this nothing though of the extent and the way that jay described but i'm also struck by the way in which um, that situation of the rich and poor side by side is, of course, what the global village is like. And we in the so-called West, I mean, Western Europe, North America, Australia, uh, Southern Africa, etc. Uh, Southern Africa is different for various reasons. But we have lived in that sort of bubble where we have been um, totally the, the rich people driving by in the big cars. <clears throat> and not very far away, just the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, there's all sorts of places whether it's um, Somalia, whether it's Eritrea, etc., <clears throat> where we now know that there are people in terrible trouble who are now trying to come to the West because they see it as this is where uh, you will be looked after, where good things will happen to you. And with America, of course, um, it's not very far away from Atlanta, where Jay lives. You don't have to go too far south before you're into both the Caribbean, which um, some huge problems in some parts of the Caribbean, and Central America, where there are all sorts of social problems. And the contrast between America and those places is just so acute. And it's kind of that what Jay has described, but on a global scale. So I mean, I am constantly asking myself the question, um, what should we in the West be doing in terms of the larger system? Because um, where it falls out in the slums of Nairobi or in the slums of Northeast England or anywhere else, or in, say, Haiti or uh, Nicaragua or wherever, um, the, the, these are the fallout from a larger global inequity, which we are just making worse by the wars and rumors of wars which are going on right now. So the, these are huge problems. And it seems to me that the, the danger is for the church simply to um, focus on, um, let's save a few souls and uh, who cares what happens to their bodies. Um, and of course, happily now, the church isn't doing that so much. But we do need to have a new generation of people who will be 
um, passionate enough about the global inequities as well as the the local inequities to, to say we need a different system. And, and of course, as soon as you say that, people think, oh, you're a communist. Yeah, we know about this story. <laughs> but, but, um, but, but just because communism is a discredited and cl clearly flawed and failed system, that doesn't mean we can go back to unthinking capitalism with the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer at the bottom. Uh, and we need that new generation of people who will think wisely about economics, about the global society, and prayerfully, because it's out of prayer that fresh wisdom will come. And we, boy, do we need that. I see it at my age, and I hear it in, in what Jay is saying there, and I'm sure he yeah. knows it in Atlanta as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, Jay, before we kind of hear a bit more about the way that compassion, you know, really changed your story, you've mentioned already that kind of God belief is kind of a given almost in, in Kenya, in East Africa generally. Um, and there has, in a way, you know, in the, the, the early 20th century, saw a kind of uh, Pentecostal revival, really, across many parts of uh, Africa and East Africa, especially. Um, so it's kind of like it's it's part of the atmosphere there, but it goes alongside, obviously, the, these really difficult economic circumstances and social circumstances going on. What what do you see happening on the ground in terms of what the church is able to do in in Kenya and East Africa? Because it's not it's a bit of a mixed bag, as I understand it, especially from having had previous conversations with Tom with a, another compassion sponsored child who's now a pastor in Uganda. Um, that that while the church is often doing great things there's also kind of there's been the influx of for instance prosperity preaching gospel and you can see why that would be so attractive to many people you know this idea that if i just you know give money to this pastor i'll get 10 times back what's going on when you when you visit kenya today how how what are you seeing on the ground in terms of the way christians are responding so funny enough, that's a that's a very interesting thing because, uh, like we said, Kenya Kenya in in itself is like eighty more than eighty percent of people are considered to uh, be Christians, and if that's the case, you'd expect when there's a need, we are all coming together. But one thing, and, and I'll touch more later on, is that uh, from my perspective, and I'm actually gonna when you talk about church and and and, and in East Africa, I'm not talking from a theological point of view. I'm talking from the streets. So yeah. from the streets point of view, what I've seen, what I've observed, because uh, now not from the theological part of it. So my observation is that uh, I think as much as we are God-fearing, I think we lack one aspect, which is giving. We don't have the... Because you don't have to give so much. We, we are in this society whereby because of poverty and because of poverty, because of lack of a lot of stuff, when people have something small, they want to grab it and keep it to themselves. And that means the stronger ones are going to grab that. The, the ones who are not strong, they're not going to get anything. And even though the church is there, now I'm, I'm not going to discredit the church in Africa because the church in Africa is doing absolutely good things. Like there are so many things that the church in Africa is doing. But at the same time, the church in Africa is also limited in resources. There is what they can and cannot do. You find even some places the pastors themselves are struggling. The church is struggling. So as much as they may want to do so much, they're not able to do a lot. But at the same time, there is the few, when you talk about prosperity gospel, there is a few who have really ran with that prosperity gospel. And it has really blindsided a lot of people. And the worst part of that is just like you've mentioned, Justin, is that there are people who believe for them to get uh, wealthy, they don't necessarily have to work. Whatever little money they have, dump it to the pastor. 
because the word of the pastor is going to sort everything out. And that's a misconception that has really gone on for some time and it's killing the church in Africa and some people who've been who've been taught, I don't know if it's to be brainwashed or washed, but they've been told, hey, whatever you have, bring it here, give it to the pastor and then God is going to multiply. Because of such frustration, there are people who are getting frustrated with church because, I mean, I believed in the pastor. The pastor told me to do this and I did, but here I am, I'm still poor. So there's a lot of uh, mixed bag when it comes to the church. There are people who are doing an absolutely an amazing job and they are selfless. But those ones, honestly, are very few. The majority mm. are the ones who are trying to grab whatever little of those poor people have. That's a shame to hear. That, that's, I yeah. mean, ha, ha, I don't know, Tom, whether you've got any thoughts on... It's very difficult, obviously, to speak as an outsider, Westerner, necessarily to, to a situation that you, you you don't have a lot of familiarity with but but any thoughts on on how we can help people you know the church to kind of do what we want it to do we you know what the church should be doing in in that kind of part of the yeah, world i mean c clearly there are networks of churches from my own point of view as as an anglican i know that the anglican church in kenya has traditionally been very strong um when i was teaching in montreal we had one or two uh, young Kenyan um, Anglicans training with us who then went back to Kenya. And I was thinking, just listening to, yeah, I wonder if, if some of them are now bishops or whatever, I've lost lost touch with them. Mm -hmm. But certainly when I was at the Lambeth Conference, I was very much aware of of bishops from East Africa as as a kind of a, a powerhouse. These are people who, who know about prayer, who know about uh, ministering in, in extraordinary circumstances. And we in the West had a huge amount to learn from them. There's a kind of an, an integrity about that. But I, I'm not sufficiently au fait with how things are right now to be able to say, well, these churches are doing it right or those ones aren't or whatever. But I see that prosperity gospel and the danger of it. Um, it it's almost like um, in, in our country, we have the national lottery. And when that happened, people said, this is going to be a tax on poverty because it's poor people who are going to be buying lottery tickets. And then some lucky person, lucky, is going to end up with a million or millions or whatever. And because those poor people have given their money and 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 in a sense what you're seeing with the prosperity gospel is something rather similar and the trust which is then placed in pastors is is really is really tragic and of course that's happened in america mm. again and again um and, and and of course the trouble is god does want to bless us god does want to do all sorts of things for us but at the heart of that vision in the bible again and again is justice it's not simply uh, handouts and everyone uh, frothing around and not really worrying it's it's about god putting things right in the society and for individuals as well um as and when but the, but it's not a magic formula and i think the church has often been seduced into thinking it can offer people magic formulae and as i read the gospels and as i look at the book of acts for instance or paul's um journeys and his wanderings um he has to face down the corinthians who want him to be a super success and he has to say no that's not what it's about it's about dying it's about being beaten up it's about being ignored or stoned or whatever um, and that's what makes you a genuine apostle and there's the tension okay. in the new testament which I think the church has always found it difficult to struggle with. Uh, are we just going to coast along with an easy time or is it going to be all terrible? And and it's neither of those things. It's following Jesus, the crucified and risen one, and somehow allowing that to work out. Anyway, um, this is fairly obvious. 
Well, it's really lovely to be able to be bringing you this conversation between Jay and Tom today. And as you've heard, and we'll hear more in a moment's time, Jay's life was really transformed because of a compassion sponsor who stepped in to ensure he could receive education and care. But there are so many more children today who are looking for sponsors who can give them the opportunity to step out of poverty and into a new and flourishing life. It's it's amazing what God can do when we work together in partnership. So we're delighted to be partnering with Compassion USA on today's episode to make that happen. And it's a critical time to be doing so. The COVID pandemic and international turmoil have intensified the pressure on families and communities where Compassion works. There are children desperately in need of help. Now, if you've been touched by Jay's story, would you consider sponsoring a child today through the Ask NT Write Anything show? It's really simple to do. Firstly, if you're in the USA, you can just take out your phone right now and just text the word Justin to 83393. That's Justin to 83393. That'll start your journey to being matched with a child to sponsor. Or you can go on this website link from anywhere in the world. It's compassion.com slash Justin to start your sponsorship journey. And that link is in the info with today's show. And as a thank you to anybody sponsoring from the USA via text or that website link, you'll be sent a copy of my book, Unbelievable, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. We've seen such a generous response when we've done this before. In fact, over 100 children sponsored through this show. And maybe you've sponsored before, but you're able to sponsor again. Perhaps this will be your first time. Either way, I'd love to see that happen again. 100 kids, a whole village of children whose lives are changed because of Ask NT Write Anything listeners. So again, to sponsor from the USA, you can text the word Justin to 83393 or go online from anywhere in the world to compassion.com slash Justin and the link is with today's show and to anybody sponsoring from the USA we'll send you that thank you gift my book unbelievable why after 10 years of talking with atheists I'm still a Christian let's return to the conversation with Jay Jay just just tell us a little bit about what happened when compassion stepped in and just the way that's then manifested in in as you grew and were able to I know start blessing kids in Africa now through projects that you've been able to run since then what what happened when compassion came to be part of the picture well for me I think just like I began by saying the difference between poverty in uh, in the west and poverty in Africa is the opportunity and the chance so what compassion did is that it gave me that it gave me a chance in life and by simply being part of compassion uh, one is that my parents didn't have to worry about tuition fee uh, that means I could go to school anytime, any day, and I would have my school uniform. Uh, I remember after coming out of prison, I actually had, had malaria. I came out of prison and I was so sick with malaria. But the good thing about Compassion is that they had a hospital. And that hospital is dedicated to, well, to everybody, to the community. But if you are part of the program, you get to go to this hospital and you can be treated for free. So you see, I started getting chances and opportunities in life, going to school, and having a chance, you know what, you can go to school and you can become somebody. They started talking to us. They started, you know, giving us this opportunity. And for me, one of the best things that I, I got from uh, from the program is uh, really, I, I narrow them down to three. There are so many, but I, the ones that I can always remember, it's one of them is education. I was able to go to school and they take, took care of that. And, you know, that helped me a great deal. You guys know how education is important. The second thing that I, I got is something that would self-motivate me. 
something that will keep me going even when there's nothing tangible and that was love i get to be i get i got a sponsor who would communicate to me and tell me how much i loved wow. me and how special i was even though we loved each other in our community in our family we never used to say each we love each other a lot but then when the moment started hearing that somebody loves you and really it's not just about saying they would even show but you know for you to be in the program your sponsor is making sure that you're part of the program and they're keeping you there and so that was showing me love even from the the teachers that we were with because the local uh, the compassion works with the local church and that church has uh, teachers who are always with us they are always doing the hard work on the ground and they would show us how much they love us they showed how much they cared for us and how they want life to be better for us and so showing me love and telling me love was very important to me and of course and not uh, the, the the last another list is uh, the first time uh, that i had uh, the word of god is when i was in when i actually received christ in a program and so being that the third thing that i received from the program is to to know jesus and to know god and we, when you become part of compassion program that is part of it it goes with it you're not forced but it's we re, compassion said we rescue kids from poverty in Jesus name that goes with it and so you find students some of them who come from even a muslim background or a background where they don't care so much about god but they find a church and a community that is actually helping their children and they are telling them about Jesus they are like you know what go ahead and tell them about Jesus and so for me that was very special it was very important because you know when all is said and done when everything right now I don't have most of the stuff that we got from the program uh but I still have Jesus yeah. and to me that was yeah, one of the wonderful. best thing that that I received and that made me yeah. to be the man that I am right now it has uh, it's not easy life is not easy but as you journey through life and you have the word of god with you There's nothing good as that because whenever there's a challenge you go back to the scriptures and you hear God says that I have good plans for you and when when you know that God has good plans for you that keeps you going yeah. the moment you hear the word of God anytime you are discouraged you get to hear the word of God that it's going to be alright and don't give up and so for me receiving the word of God was one of the most uh, special thing that I did mm-hmm. uh, because even in even after the program was over it could have been easy for me to to fall back yeah. but because i had the word of god yeah. that made yeah. me the man i am right now yeah. and i'm forever grateful for my sponsor for compassion and for everybody who was part of uh, of yeah. that well it's it's a lovely reminder of the fact that when how god can work through the church and obviously compassion is an organization that does as you say work through local churches to deliver its child sponsorship program it's been so good jay i wish we had more time maybe to to talk through things but it's it's been really good to catch up with you on today's show um and uh, and yeah uh, tom i i'm sure you know there there's many thing more things that we could have said but but it, it's just good sometimes to be reminded of the way god is working Absolutely. in very different Absolutely. contexts and jay i i don't come to america that often these days but i do hope that i'll be able to connect with you sometime um uh, in atlanta or somewhere else and if you're coming to uk let me know and uh, be good to say hi and and share share something I've never been to UK. I'm I'm hoping to come back sometime. I've never been. I've, I always pass by going to Kenya, but I'm hoping at some point I can pass. I can just stop by Benin for a day or two. Well, blessings on you and the work that you're doing. We'll have a cup of tea or a cup of chai even yeah. uh, with you, Jay, one day. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you. Thanks for being with us on today's show, Jay. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank have you. a good one.
thank you again for watching today's show and just a final reminder if you can we'd love to see another village worth of children have their lives changed through this show's partnership with Compassion. Let's see another 100 kids sponsored. If you're in the US, you can just text Justin to 83393 or from anywhere in the world, go to compassion.com forward slash Justin. The link is with today's show. And again, anyone from the USA who sponsors will receive a thank you gift. My book, Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. Thanks for being with us on the Ask Anti-Write Anything show and we'll see you next time.